You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Francois Goussier, president of blog media company Courant, goes on the record online. It makes no sense for me to see advertising and direct mail and all of that from Dell, you know, promising me all kinds of things. And then when I buy the product from them and I have to, uh, you know, call the service department because something is broken to be dealing with people that are absolutely not delivering against, you know, that, that initial that initial promise that they made to me. And thank you for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online. This podcast is recorded from the New Communications Forum in Palo Alto, California. If you're a first-time listener of the show, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers and podcasters and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the business of media as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I'm the president and founder of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today, we have a one-on-one interview with Francois Goussier. He is the president of blog media company Courant, which currently attracts uh, tens of millions of page views a month and ranks among the top most linked to sites on the web. Prior to Courant, Francois was involved in a variety of technology startups. He has a long history with online media and has used blogs for grassroots political and environmental activities and is currently blogging at emergencemarketing.com. If you would like to subscribe to the show, uh, you can get it at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. If you want to send feedback or comments to me, there's two ways to do that. You can either send me an email to eric, E-R-I-C, at ontherecordpodcast.com, or by posting a comment to my blog at www.spinfluencer.com. Uh, I want to mention an upcoming guest confirmed to uh, be on a future episode, and that is going to be Chet Rhodes. He is the video podcast editor from the Washington Post. Uh, and now, without any further ado, I'd like to play for you the interview with Francois Goussier after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Francois, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about Courant. How did the company become so popular, and how was Coron able to get recognized by a news site like Google? 
Crunt was formed five years ago. It was the first blog network, actually. Um, and uh, it took us about three years to get um, accepted, you know, to have our sites to be accepted by Google News. So the first, you know, the first iteration of Courant was we would basically ask um, thought leaders, opinion makers to come and blog for us, either in group blogs or individual blogs. And um, we grew the company to about 65, um, you know, thought leaders that were contributing for us on different blogs. And um, we grew it to around, you know, July of last year, around 400,000 unique visitors a month with about 11 million page views. And then we started thinking about, and we were, our blogs were all accepted by Google News at the time. And then uh, we were thinking about how could we scale the business model to the next level. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to to keep that nugget of DNA that I think you know makes Courant unique, which is that um, you know as as there is more and more information overload and less and less attention, you know I think that people are increasingly going to subscribe to people as opposed to, to content, and that's what Courant is is known for, right? We don't hire writers that write content in a, in a specific direction to sell advertising around. What we have is we have thought leaders, opinion makers that, you know, in certain fields that are writing for us. And um, so we came up with this concept of... Um, of Courant Hubs, which we launched uh, late last year, which is basically instead of having people come and, and write for us on our own blogs, we're basically asking them, look, continue to write on your own blog and we will aggregate um, the information on our hubs and then enhance that information in two ways. One is with um, technology you know, to kind of help you find other information that relates to what you're reading. And the other one is with editors. So for each and every hub, we also have editors that are editorializing what happens on a network. Can you tell us a little bit about how you get authors to participate? Um, the main reasons why, so the main reasons why author authors are participating is um, because of the brand that we have and because of the audience that we have. So, while I, I can't really, you know, quantify it, uh, just by the very nature of, of the content that we have on our blogs, which goes over 90% of people's head, you know that we have, you know, very much of a, an innovator, early adopted type audience in the areas of science, marketing, media, um, law, and uh, web technology. And so the main driver for contributors to participate with us is to be part of, of, of this, you know, this brand, this fairly high-end brand, and to have access to this, you know, what I think is a fairly high-end audience of innovators, early adopters. We do revenue share with our contributors, you know, so if we sell advertising on our hubs or on our blogs or in our feeds, we do share revenue, that advertising revenue with our, with our contributors. But I would say that 95% of our contributors are absolutely not interested in that type of revenue. What they're interested in is they're interested in becoming part of an authoritative voice, a group voice, okay, and then accessing audiences that are larger than what they can access by themselves, and by doing so, increase the revenue that they're 
you know, that they're making right now, which is typically consulting revenue, speaking engagement revenue, training revenue, selling books. You know, those are our audience. I mean, our contributors are typically consultants, academics, um, public speakers. You know, they, they, we have a few corporate people, but most of them are independent. I noticed that uh, GoToMeeting is a big advertiser on your site. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other advertisers? Um, I don't know if I can pinpoint, you know, other major advertisers. Uh, GoToMeeting was a big advertiser, but uh, was a big advertiser late last year. But our focus really hasn't been so much on on advertising right now. Our focus has been on trying to get in front of as many qualified readers as possible. That's what we've been focusing on. So um, we're looking at syndicating some of the content that we have, you know, through other mainstream publications or through um, uh, industry associations. So we just finished a deal that, you know, will uh, enable most of our feeds to become part of LexisNexis. Uh, We just finished a deal last week um, whereby we're going to create a special feed for the uh, IT Services Marketing Association. So our focus has been primarily on, you know, let's get the, the voice of our contributors in front of as many qualified readers as possible. That's in different formats. And then once, you know, that's our primary focus. And then once we get there, then we'll worry about, you know, really focusing on advertising. That's really a, a major achievement to get uh, your feed into LexisNexis. Yeah. How did you do that? We worked with um, a company that is um, actually aggregating uh, different feeds and then reselling it through LexisNexis as well as through uh, financial brokers. And uh, do you want to mention the company? The company's name is Newstex. And uh, how does what's their business model? They have two business models. Uh, one of them is a uh, pay-per-view business model. So they um, and and the pay-per-view is is what they're doing with LexisNexis. So if uh, somebody reads a particular article. Okay, they they get a fixed revenue for that, and then they do a revenue share with um, um, whoever provides them with that feed. And then they have another another model, which is what they're doing with financial brokers, which is um, they're getting a fixed fee for a particular feed on a monthly basis, and then they do a revenue share based on the amount of posts that are part of that particular feed. So like uh, like Reuters or Bloomberg Terminal, that type of yes, thing? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Right. So they, what they do is they wrap you know, the data that you gave, the posts that you give them with all kinds of other metadata, like, you know, they have people tickers and company tickers and all kinds of stuff like that so that, you know, brokers can basically slice and dice it in all kinds of different ways. Um, so so you didn't have to get a routing code to, to do that because you're moving the feed through this company. That's correct, yeah. And so even if you don't have critical mass in the feed, uh, because you're combining that content with other people, it's, yeah. it's enough. That's right. And and is it is it a profitable is that something that is profitable for you too or do you just give them the feed and they make the money off it? Uh, it's it's a revenue share. So I see. we just started, so we probably won't see the first reports until June timeframe. Congratulations! Uh, yeah, I don't you know I don't look at it as again it's you know at this stage of the company it's not so much about about um, trying to optimize the revenue as much as it is to try to 
reach the right audiences. So, you know, with ITSMA, we, we're doing something similar, which is... What is that abbreviation? ITSMA is the IT Services Marketing Association. Okay. okay. So we're basically doing two things with them, which is... So they, their members are executives that are service marketing executives. And so what we're doing is we're basically giving them a custom version of our marketing hub feed. And we're doing it in two ways. The first way is we're asking each and every one of our 27 contributors to the marketing hub to tag their posts that might be of interest to a service marketing executive. Okay, And then we're creating a custom feed based on that. And then we're also, on a weekly basis, delivering them a, um, a digest, an editorialized digest that their members will be able to subscribe to uh, via email, which will basically have you know, the most important posts as selected not by the, mem by the contributors, but by our editors, and then editorialized, so kind of you know, with linkages between the different And ones. is that the feed that goes to Google News as well, or is that separate? The Google News, so what goes to Google News is, is um, there's two things that are going through Google News right now. Um, each and every one of our own blogs is being syndicated by Google News. And then we right now have three hubs. We have a marketing hub, a media hub, and a, uh, a web technology hub. And in each hub, we have two feeds. We have a, an editorial feed, which is what the edit editors write about. And we have a network feed, which are the raw posts from you know, all of our contributors that are contributing to those particular uh, hubs. Right now, Google News is uh, syndicating the editorial feeds of each and every hub. And now what we're working on is trying to get our network feeds to be syndicated by Google News as well. So I'm thinking about the business of syndicated television. Uh -huh. In syndicated television, if you've got a program and you cannot rely on the backbone of a, uh, of a network to distribute that program, you have to actually travel to each market mm -hmm. and you have to do a deal with a local broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And um, usually you sell half of the advertising time nationally and they sell the remaining advertising time locally. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you give a feed to Google, are they inserting ads in there? It becomes part of Google News, so yes, they do sell ads on their Google But you News don't site. get the opportunity to include an ad in there. That's correct. Do you think that will change? Um, I'm not sure, and um, I'm not sure if it will change. Uh, I think that a large company like Google may not, um, you know, may not change that model, and and for us. Again, the, the, the main driver for us is, is to make sure we have two assets. We have our readership and we have our contributors. We now have about 135 you know, contributors that are kind of opinion makers in the, in the marketplace. And so the way we look at it is if we can optimize a product that will work for our readers and we can optimize the value that our contributors derive from working with our readers, you know, we as the facilitator of that will, you know, will benefit. So, um, you know, one of the main things that we need to have in order to do that is have the right audiences. 
So we're not that interested in selling advertising through Google News at this stage. I think that with some smaller companies, I mean, yeah, we've been talking with a number of, of smaller, uh, more mainstream uh, media companies about syndicating our content. And with some of those companies, you know, we are talking about revenue share on the advertising in different ways, whether we bring in the advertiser or whether they bring in the advertiser. Tell us about BlogBridge. BlogBridge? Uh, Blockbridge is, um, you know, not related to Quran at this stage, right? I, I thought you were involved with Blockbridge. No, I, I have been, but but that's something different, right? Um, well, what's the idea behind Blockbridge? How are products like Blockbridge changing the way business professionals, marketing experts, and salespeople use the internet? So Blockbridge is a is a tool. It's an RSS aggregator, and um, it's an open source product. And it's really a product that was designed and built to to reach the, you know, the high-end kind of reader, meaning uh, it comes with very sophisticated tools to enable you to organize the content that you're subscribing to, to find related content to what you're reading. So some of the things that you can do with, with BlogBridge is... Um, you can subscribe to 500 feeds and then you can decide to create a couple of smart feeds, for example. So smart feeds, you can have two types of smart feeds. One smart feed would be, you know, go and pick uh, Technorati and Feedster and all of those other services and bring me back every post that is related to disaster recovery. Okay. The other type of smart feed that you can have within BlockBridge is you can say, go through my own 500 feeds and bring back every post from within my feeds that have my keywords in it that I'm interested in. So it's got very sophisticated kind of you know, information discovery capabilities as well as information filtering capabilities. On your blog, emergencemarketing.com, uh, you differentiate between small M marketing the tactical stuff and big M marketing, the fundamentals, the strategic stuff. And you note that most marketers focus on small M marketing. Do you have any recommendations for marketing professionals on how to switch their focus to big M marketing? I, I do have many recommendations for marketing people. Um, as a matter of fact, we are running a, um, a a two-day conference on marketing, which will be Big M Marketing, uh, along in partnership with Columbia Business School and uh, the Center for Global Brands, which will be June 8th and 9th. And the, the, it will be a two-day event. The first day will be for CMOs only, smallish type event, you know, uh, 75 people. The second day will be an open, open event uh, where we're going to draw some of the lessons learned from the first day. But the whole premise is that the current marketing, you know, rule book has dissolved, right? There is no more attention. People don't have any attention anymore. There is too much information coming at you. Uh, innovation doesn't happen within your four walls anymore. Um, and so, you know, we have to rebuild a new marketing foundation. And so that's what, you know, this, this, this whole event will be. And I think that, you know, in general, most marketers... Most companies should be looking at their marketing department and think really, you know, deeply about 
Do they have the right marketing department? Do they have the right people in their marketing department? Does it make sense to have, you know, marketing kind of siloed the way that it is uh, today into people that are responsible for lead generation, people that are responsible for advertising, people that are responsible for PR, and, and nobody else in the company being responsible for marketing? Meaning, you know, marketing is not, it shouldn't be an organization. Marketing should be the way a company behaves in the marketplace. It makes no sense for me to see advertising and direct mail and all of that from Dell, you know, promising me all kinds of things. And then when I buy the product from them and I have to, uh, you know, call the service department because something is broken to be dealing with people that are absolutely not delivering against, you know, that, that, initial, that initial promise that they made to me. So, you know, big, big M marketing is not, is not all about strategy. Big M marketing is just about thinking about the fundamentals. You know, do you have the right fundamentals in place? I mean, do you, do you measure the people the right way in order to achieve your business goals as opposed to just your marketing goals, right? Should you, should you um, kind of goal people on generating leads or should you goal people on generating business? Most companies will goal people on generating leads. doesn't matter whether they make it in sales or not. Most people will goal their people in customer service on, you know, number of minutes that a person has to wait on the phone and how fast they can get rid of that customer with this problem. Well, at the end, you know, when you goal people like that, you get all kinds of very strange behaviors that are not always in the best interest of the customer and therefore not in the best interest of the business. You know, big M marketing is about asking you the fundamentals. Do you have the right value proposition? Do you, you know, are people feeling good about buying your product? I mean, there's so many companies that don't have that and they never ask themselves the question. Instead, what they're focusing on is they're trying to, to make all the tactics work even though the fundamentals are wrong. So I don't know if that answered your question. And I kind of went a little bit well, all well, over the well, place with this one. What's the problem? I mean, is it is it greed? Is that essentially the problem? I think that the problem with marketing is is just that marketing is not should not be a department. And I, just to clarify the question, um, if the if the company is evaluating uh, various people inside of the, its organization based on these metrics that you set forth. And, uh, and it's not necessarily in the best interest of customer satisfaction. Then how does a company um, reevaluate its success? What are the metrics that would replace the ones that you're talking about? I'm not sure that this problem can be solved with metrics because, um, you know, what, what metrics does in this particular case and I know that you know there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on around marketing ROI and all of that. But what metrics does in the case of marketing is oftentimes uh, stimulate wrong behavior. What marketing should be about should be about how you behave in a marketplace. It should be, it it almost should be like a, a DNA strand that you inject into the company, right? It's like um, uh, Ritz did at some point in time. Right? It's, they don't have rules and regulation on what to do. Everybody in the company has the discretion to spend up to $2,000 worth of Ritz's money to make a customer happy. That's a, you know, that's a principle. You don't get 
promoted if you spend many $2,000. So you don't get demoted if you spend many $2,000. It's like use your common sense and make sure, and you have the right to do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. You know, that's more of a, that's more of a, it's not an organizational, it's not an organizational structure with rules and, and rewards and all of that. It's more like, like I said, it's more like a DNA strand that you try to inject throughout your whole company. You know, you, these days, engineers are talking to, to customers. Customer service people are talking to customers. Um, executives are talking to customers. Salespeople are talking to customers. They should all have the same, you know, things in mind. They should have the same beliefs and follow the same principles in engaging with that customer. That's what marketing should be all about. Not about, you know, siloed sub-organization within a, a, a larger organization that only focuses on the front end of the buying cycle. You uh, discussed the controversy over the Prophet Muhammad cartoons on your blog uh, under the categories marketing and self-organization and referred to the widespread Muslim reactions to the cartoons as, quote, cultural-slash-religious DNA-based self-organization at work. Mm -hmm. Explain. Explain. Well, it's something that a lot of people do not understand, but um, in, in Muslim religion, um, you, have, you, you have a set of principles that you have to follow, okay? One of them is that you have to fight if a non-Muslim attacks your religion, attacks your, your, your territory, attacks another Muslim, uh, there's five things, okay, that if, if that happens, you personally have to go fight. And you don't need the, um, you don't need the authorization of a mullah or any other authority, and you don't even need the authorization of your parents. As a matter of fact, it's a sin if you do not go and fight when that happens, right? So, Leaders that are trying to stimulate, you know, the, the revolts that we're seeing right now, they don't have to be organized. They just have to be good PR people that are putting whatever happens in the worldview framework of that religion. And you will automatically have, you know, you will automatically have those people get up and fight. That's, that's really what it is. So, you know, when we're trying to go and, and fight, you know, the, 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 the things that are happening out there, the way that we are, which is much like, you know, an, an army against an army or whatever, um, it's, it's just not going to work. It's, it's because it's, it's embedded into their cultural, they have to do that. It is, it is their religion. And if they don't do it, it is, you know, it is a sin not to do it. So, you know, you're not fighting a central a centralized kind of organization in that case, what you're doing is you're fighting a, a self-organized, you know, mass. It's, it's part of their cultural DNA. Um, is, is there anything marketing professionals can learn from this example of the power of self-organization? I think they can, yeah. I think they can, and I think that one of the persons that, that did the best job at that is is probably, you know, D. Hawk, uh, the founder of of, um, of Visa, who built Visa in a totally self-organized way. Um, so in Visa, there is no command and control. There is it's one of the only 
close to trillion billion dollar company or whatever. There is no com command and control. Visa was built on on two things: a common belief. Everybody that is part of Visa has to have a common belief, and a common belief has to go way beyond. You know, we're going to make money for our investors. Okay, it has to be way deeper than that. And then the second thing that that they built uh, the organization around is principles. Okay, so and principles are very much. Um, descriptive instead of prescriptive. So, you know, one of the principles in Visa is, you know, don't do to others what you wouldn't do to yourself or to your own company, right? Well, that, that means different things to different people, but yet it is one of the only trillion dollar companies that was built that way. So I think that, you know, coming back to the original comment that, that I was making, I think that companies have to think about marketing the same way. What they should be doing is making sure that marketing is not just a department somewhere reporting to a C-level executive or a VP-level executive, but that marketing is something that everybody in the company has as part of, of, of their DNA, as part of their behavior. Everybody should be acting, you know, in, in driven by the same beliefs and principles, in, in marketing, and that's that's how you can succeed. If if marketing stays a siloed organization or a set of siloed organizations, I don't think that in the long run, you know, companies will, the ones that do it differently will be much more successful than the ones that don't do it. Let's put it that way. Francois, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.